As you return to your seats, you might like to grab out your Bibles, your devices. We're going to turn together to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is where we're headed. Well, we have one sermon left, one message left for 2018. I said in jest to someone, we're just going to review every sermon that we've covered throughout the year. And we'll be here to see in the new year together. That's exactly right. But I always think this, is this okay? One, two. Always think this is a, a unique and a significant opportunity that we have. This one moment, a moment to pause after the busyness of Christmas and the end of year and everything that happens, and a moment prior to entering into a new year. A moment to pause and to reflect and to ponder and to reevaluate. And so I've simply entitled this message, An End of Year Reflection. It's a reflection from Psalm 90, and before we do anything else, we're going to pray. So Father, we thank you for these moments. We thank you for the moments that we've spent in worship, in prayer, in seeking your face, and in gathering around your word this year. We thank you that your word never returns void. Lord, you send it forth with power to accomplish all that you desire. And so my prayer for us this morning, Lord, is that you would come through the power of your Spirit and that your Word would have its full working effect in our hearts and our lives. We turn our eyes towards you. We incline our ears. We pray that you'd give us ears to hear what it is that your Spirit is saying to us. Father, thank you that you're always at work. Thank you that you never give up. And I pray that we'd know the power of your presence during this time as we gather around your word for the last time this year. Come and have your way afresh in our hearts and our minds. We pray together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 90, if you've come in late. And as I said before, there's a new year around the corner, but so important before we look towards the new year that we take a moment to reevaluate. And I'm not sure, to be perfectly honest, if I've had a moment in all of my decade plus of ministry of taking this service, but I want to let you into a little secret of what I do each and every year. Before the year passes, I like to take what I call a stock take. Who enjoys stock takes? Some of us, perhaps. Others don't. Maybe it's harking back to my accounting days. I'm not sure. I remember working in a, uh, a wholesaling foods company when I was going through university, and my shift was from 4 o'clock till 8 o'clock in the morning, and we'd get there every year. We'd grab the orders for the day. We'd pack and cl- collect all the orders, pack them, put them on the trucks, and send them away. And that I didn't mind. But then it came the once-a-year stock take. Everybody's favorite day. And we'd go through the warehouse and we'd count out all the goods. We'd find all sorts of incredible things that had gone missing during the year, the occasional dead animal hiding away. But it was an opportunity to take stock, to recognize where we were and how we could prepare ourselves for the next year. Perhaps a example that applies more. This past week, my wife very graciously offered 
to assist my two eldest daughters in cleaning their bedrooms. I heard a little groan there. (laughs) They're not boys, remember, they are girls. But I'm amazed how much two preteen girls can collect and accumulate in their bedrooms. I certainly wasn't putting my hand up to enter into that domain. I was called upon a few times to shift beds and locate different things, but it was amazing. There was a number of items thought lost and forgotten that were found. There was a number of piles of incriminating evidence. The sins of the past year, little chocolate wrappers, little lollies that had obviously been snuck in there that were repented of and dealt with. And then there was bags and bags of stuff that was removed. All to clear way for that which is to come. So it's a little bit like that. We want to grab onto what we need to remember, what we need to hold on to, rediscover, refocus, and we need to clear out the stuff that needs to be removed. And we're going to do that, as I said, looking at Psalm 90. It's not perhaps people's first choice in Psalms for uplifting encouragement. In fact, normally if I was in the 90s, I'd be going straight to Psalm 91. Now, there is a good, encouraging psalm. But Psalm 90 is unique. It's the only psalm that we have penned by Moses. In fact, the title in my Bible says, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. What a great title that is. Imagine having that recorded in Scripture about your life. The life of Moses, the Man of God. And this psalm has a predominant theme of time. Over and over again, it speaks of mornings and evenings, days and years, generations passing by. We believe this psalm was probably written sometime towards the end of the wilderness journeys. So Moses is an old man. He's still leading the people. They're still wandering around the desert. And it's a psalm of reflection. He's looking back perhaps at the last 40 years, perhaps his entire life. What a life he had. 40 years living as the son of the most powerful emperor of the most powerful empire, possibly in, the human, in human history. Incredible influence, incredible power, prosperity, everything at his fingertips. And yet he left it all behind. He spent 40 years in the desert, And then, of course, God called him to lead the people. He'd seen the miraculous hand of God delivering the nation of Israel from the grasps of the Egyptian empire. And then he'd seen the great disobedience, the continual grumbling. God, not more manna, not another year in the desert. I mean, he'd seen the highs and he'd seen the lows. And that's why I love this psalm. There's so much that we can learn about the heart of this man and about the nature of life and time and seasons. So we're going to eventually focus in on verse 12, but I want us just to read this in its entirety and just allow the prayer of Moses, the man of God, to resonate in our hearts. So follow along. It'll be on the screens if you want to. It says this, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you had ever formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years 
in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath against the fear of you? And in response to all that he has prayed, reflected upon, pondered upon, this is his desire of the Lord in verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain or obtain or get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Psalm 90. Anyone feeling encouraged? Yes, said one person. Good, we should be. Interestingly, this is a psalm that is often used at funerals. I'm not sure how Moses, the great man of God, felt about that. And it does have that little sort of you know, philosophical, almost at times morbid feel to it, doesn't it? Someone say yes. Are we reading the same psalm? And yet I would say that it's probably not a great psalm for a funeral in some ways in that Moses is crying out for wisdom. And when you're dead, there's not a great time to be crying out for wisdom. It's much better to cry out for wisdom when you're alive. And rather than, than Moses writing this prayer of God to be prayed at funerals, and I'm not saying it's not appropriate for that, really, I believe as I read this, this is Moses' Moses's impassioned plea, God, please help our lives to count. Please help us not to miss what you have for us. See, he's looking back, and I believe he's, he's seeing all that has gone before. And as he cries out to God, he's saying, God, here's what I see. There's so little that actually really holds eternal weight and significance. There's so little. It's just passing away. It's, it's fleeting. So God, teach us to number our days. Whether we're wandering around the desert again another year, eating the same food, walking with the same people, with the same issues, same mountains. Oh, Lord, if this is the year that we see your promise Fulfilled, where you lead us forth into your promised land. Let us not waste the year on that which doesn't count. Verse 12 is key. He says, so teach us to number our days. What does he mean by that? Well, to teach, he's asking the Lord to teach us to number our days. And that literally means to count out, to weigh out, to measure, or as I've already said, to take stock or teach us to be aware to be aware of what we have to take stock 
to count it out, to weigh it out, to measure. But the second part is then to allot or to assign or to ordain or even to prepare accordingly. Which is why I believe this is Moses' psalm of stocktake. He's saying, Lord, show us. Show us what it is that we have. The greatest gift, the gift that we struggle most with, the gift that we can never have more of is our time. And help us not to waste it. You see, nobody likes to waste time, do they? And if I'm perfectly honest, which I like to be from time to time, not too honest, just a little, I like to use my life productively. One of my pet hates is wasting time. Anyone else like that? Like, I will go out of my way to avoid a queue. I'll rearrange my life in order to minimize the time that I will know that I'll spend wasted waiting somewhere. Anyone else like that? I hate waiting in queues. If there's a queue, I'll turn around because I do not want to waste time in a queue. I've even been known, and my wife was reminding me of this in recent days as we head perhaps towards going to the fireworks on New Year's Eve, which we did last year. And there's always queues. And I have this tendency to not just want to park in the car park that's miles away and that requires me to walk miles to get to the fireworks. I want to park perhaps you know, in, in, in not a, a registered parking space, should we say, not breaking the law, just slightly bending the rules at times, in order for me to get as close as possible to avoid standing in queues. But as I've thought about this, how much time do I, how much time do we use productively? How much time of my life is wasted? And I always love these statistics. You've probably heard something like this. But if we are to live an average lifespan of 80 years, here are some of the things that you will spend your time doing. On average, of course, everyone's different. But on average, with the average lifespan, you will spend 26 years sleeping. Someone say, Amen. Who enjoys sleeping? You'll spend seven years trying to sleep. I know I'm far above average on that one. You'll spend 13 years working, heading to work, doing whatever it is that your vocation employment is. You'll spend... This one was interesting. 11 years behind a screen. And yet I think of my children's generation. What will that statistic be then? You'll spend, if you're a woman, 136 days getting ready. I have four young girls and I'm already planning my wing of bathrooms somewhere in my house just so we can leave the house in the morning. Whereas if you're a man, you'll spend only 46 days getting ready in the morning. That says something, I'm sure, but we'll move on. 235 days of your life will be spent queuing. Four and a half years of your life will be spent eating. Not nearly enough, someone say. And finally, three years of your life will be spent on holidays. That's a lot of time doing a lot of different things. And as I was thinking about this, you know, there's no statistics. I've never seen a survey on this. But let me ask you these questions. I wonder how many moments, how many minutes, how many days of the past year, or if you want to go further back, of the past years of your life, 
did you and I spend hanging on to hurts? How much time did we spend controlled and consumed by anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and hanging on to all those things? How much time did we spend weighed down under the heaviness of, of worry and anxiety and stress? How much time did we spend weighed down in the same patterns of sin and shame and beating ourselves up? Just, just take a moment. This is my gift to you. I know it's not Christmas anymore. My New Year's gift. Take a moment and reflect back over the last 12 months of your life. How did you use the most precious gift that has been given to you? Your time. 365 days. We all had the same. How much did you use? And this is the sermon. This really is the message. This is a wonderful time for us to take stock. What are the things that weren't on the list that perhaps should have been on the list? What are the things that were on the list that we need to rediscover in a fresh way? And what are the time wasters? What are those things on the list that we just need to grab the garbage bags and we need to clear it all out to make room? As Moses said, God, teach us. Teach us to take stock. Teach us to not waste that which we have been given. So just back to the psalm then, with that theme in mind, with that introduction, here are three keys that I believe Moses, the great man of God, gives us that we can learn from this particular psalm to ensure that we have the right focus as we head into a new year. And number one is simply this. I love how he begins this psalm. Lord, this is all about you. You've been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains, before all creation was formed, from everlasting, from eternity past to eternity future. You are God. You never change. You never fail. You never falter. See, if you want wisdom, and that's the promise here, well, teach us to number our days that we might grasp wisdom. Here is the key. It doesn't start just looking within. It's the message of the whole gospel. We have a world that tells us you've just got to look within. You've just got to think harder and try harder. You've just got to search for the answers within you. They're there somewhere. The problem is that we're the ones who are confused in the first place. But just search harder. It's there. It's all within. Whereas the whole message of the gospel is this invitation to look to him. And all the way through the psalm is this contrast. There's this contrast of the certainty of God from eternity past to eternity future. But the uncertainty of life. What is it that we can actually control? What is it that we are in control of? We so desperately want to be in control. So very little. But you can choose who you trust. There's this picture of the eternal reality of God, but the, the temporal fleeting nature of life. It's gone in the breath, it's green in the morning, and it's changed by evening time. There's this contrast of the faithfulness of God and the faithlessness of people. God, you're unchanging. 
and we just keep on messing up. We do it really well. We just mess up and we mess up and our, our sin is before you. God, help us to have that, that perspective of, of how much our sin affects you, but how much you've paid a price for us on the cross. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. If you want to make this coming year count, then live from this vantage point. Live with this deep awe and reverence that just makes us want to honor Him and worship Him. Live with this, this picture of the eternal God that shapes and defines every aspect of our life. You see, I found that so much of my life, and some of you perhaps, so much is caught up in the here and now. It's the day-to-day. It's the next place the kids have got to get to. It's the next sermon to write. It's the next thing to do. It's the next... It's, it's all in front of me. Spending all my time constantly overwhelmed, overworked, overcommitted, overanxious, overextended, tanks running on empty in this, this phonetic frenzy of activity, just trying to keep it all together before it falls apart. I'm sure none of you are like that at all. And yet there's an invitation just to hang on, just look up, just look up. As we started off the worship service today, just turn your eyes to Jesus. It's only then that finally we get the right perspective of what actually matters. What actually in my life is worthy of my attention. See things the way he sees them. So that's the way Moses begins. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Where does that start? It starts by looking up. He then continues on. Verse 14. I love this passage. Possibly my favorite verse in the whole psalm. Moses says this. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. What a wonderful picture that is. Let's look at those two words. To satisfy literally means to be filled, to have enough, to be sustained. And this word for morning, the picture there literally is the dawning of every day. As the sun first pierces through the darkness, as a new day begins, God satisfy us. See, there's this picture of this ongoing structure in the everyday of our lives. There's this divine design. Every morning invites us again into that which we need. And I love this coming from Moses, a man who'd lived for possibly the better part of 40 years with the physical provision of bread from God. Manna appears every morning. There it is. Every morning they go and collect fresh bread. And yet here he talks about the provision, not of bread, but the provision of his presence. Every morning inviting us into that which we need. Hope is reborn with every sunrise. And the reality is there was fresh provision for them each morning because they needed it physically. And in the same way, we need his presence spiritually. This is the faithful God who provides for us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. 
See, each of our lives is made to be satisfied. We long to be satisfied. And yet the only thing that truly satisfies is steadfast love. I know this is the wrong time of year to be talking about eating. I won't ask for a show of hands who feel like they're still bearing some of the remnants of Christmas feasts, of one too many pieces of Christmas pudding. But let me give you this little analogy. See, when feeding the body, there is healthy food, and then there is junk food. And I know there's some debate about where Christmas pudding fits, which category. Can it be a bit of both? I guess it depends on what's in your Christmas pudding. But you see, both taste good, and both in the short run produce energy. It gives you this immediate kick, this fast buzz of, of energy. But longer term, healthy food provides all the right things that our body needs to sustain and to function and to survive. Whereas junk food, well, who knows what junk food does, but it's not good. And I, I remember I've never been massive on junk food. I've never particularly enjoyed sweets. Sweets are not kind of my thing. I'd enjoy the odd packet of chips here or something like that, but I've never been massive into junk food. Whereas soft drinks, there's something about a nice can or drink of bubbly, sugary deliciousness when the weather's it's just refreshing. And remember uh, in my, uh, what have been probably late teens, early 20s, I remember discovering Mountain Dew. Anyone remember Mountain Dew when it first came out? And I thought this is wonderful because there was always a little bit of a guilty conscience as you drink a Coke or something because we all know Coke's bad. It's not good for you even though it tastes so good. Whereas Mountain Dew, I mean, it was green and that's got to be good, right? It was the Dew of Mountains. I mean, they advertised it really well. This is fresh. This has got to be healthy. It's got to be fantastic. And so I would indulge probably far too often in this slice of heavenly indulgence. Until there was this particular report, and I remember seeing it, and someone who knew that I loved to indulge in a, a nice bottle of Mountain Dew presented to me, which detailed the fact that Mountain Dew actually has more sugar than Coke. Anyone knew that? And 40% more caffeine, and all sorts of other added things that I can't even pronounce to you. And so that forever ruined my indulgence and my enjoying of enjoyance, if that's a word, of Mountain Dew. You see, we are made to be satisfied. And this is, this is what Moses is pointing us towards, is that it's so easy to grab those things that we know will give us a quick fix. I can just grab a bit of this. I can, just, I can hang on to some bitterness. I can hang on to some something, just, just something to give me that quick little, ah, that's right. But in the end, it kills us. And there's only one thing that we were made to crave, and that is his steadfast love. So my encouragement simply to us is take a look at the can. Just try. Just, even this week as I prepared this message, waking up each and every morning, Lord, thank you for this new day. Would you satisfy me today? Before I've even had the temptation to reach for the mountain dew, or anything else, satisfy me today with your steadfast love. Satisfy me today. I want you to be my satisfaction. I want you to be the desire of my heart. Because for me, it's the moment 
that there is that vacancy. And we need that every day. That's when my heart wanders to other things. Not always sinful things. Sometimes there can be other good things, just not the one thing that I truly need. God, satisfy me. Satisfy me this day with your steadfast love. And then point number three, this is how he finishes it off. So we look up and then we lean in to be satisfied with this God of eternal love. And then he finishes it off like this. Verse 16, And Lord, let your work be shown to your servants. See, we've got to look up, we've got to lean in, but then there's this glorious calling that we have. There is work for us to do in this coming year. As we look up, as we get the right perspective, as we lean in, as we get rid of all the other stuff, all of a sudden we can see clearly to see His will. Let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Lord, show us what you would have us do this year and let your favor be upon us. Let us live for what matters. Let us see what it is that is your purpose for this coming year. In the midst of so many things that could be distracting our attention. So many things that could be consuming our time. Let this be a year that counts. How are we all doing out there? Are we struggling in the heat? Fading away? Have, have, you, got, have you got a few moments for one more illustration? And then we're going to end with communion. I can't think of a better way to finish a service like this, to finish a year, than by honoring the Lord Jesus Christ and communion table. The communion table is a, it's a transaction. It's not just a place of remembrance. It's a place where we shake off our filthy rags and we're clothed in His righteousness. Where we come as sinners and we leave as saints. Where we come heavy laden and we receive His rest. But I, I, I want to just share something. I was reminded of this as I prepared this message, talking about living a life that counts. I remember uh, it was the early days of uh, I got saved in my late teens, giving my heart to the Lord and doing the best to just serve God and, and follow Him. And it was my mum, first of all, who gave me a Passion CD. The first ever, pa who's heard of the Passion Conference? Passion CD, the 268 generation, living for the glory of God. And I just had it on repeat. I just burnt that CD until the place where nothing worked anymore. I played that CD and I just loved the heart of the movement. And I remember very early on just getting a hold of any of the stuff that I could from the Passion Conferences. And there was this one sermon. It was a sermon preached by John Piper. And he had this particular message entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. And here's an example. I, I, I remembered it as I was preparing this message. I thought, I've got to look that up. For my own sake, for my own sense of just taking stock and remembering what's important, remembering where my life is headed. It's a little bit long, but this is the story that he gave, and I'll conclude with this, the story that he's sharing. He said, three weeks ago, we got the news at our church that Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards were killed 
in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80, single all her life, a nurse. She poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura was a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, she partnered up with Ruby. She was also pushing 80, and they were going from village to village in Cameroon. On one of their trips, the brakes on their car gave way. Over a cliff they went, and they both were killed instantly. And as I heard this story, I asked my people that Sunday, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts has retired, they fly into an eternity with a death. Is this a tragedy, I asked? No, this is not a tragedy, Piper suggested. I'll read you what a tragedy is. He pulled out a page from the Reader's Digest and he read this. Bob and Penny took out an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. They now live in Florida where they cruise their 30-foot trawler, play softball and collect shells. That's a tragedy, he told the crowd. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe, to give an account with what you did, and all you say is, here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good golf swing, and look at my boat. Don't waste your life, he said. Now, I hear that story, I remember hearing that, Decades ago, as a, a much younger man, and it just sparked something in my heart. God, I want to live for what counts. I don't want to waste my life away chasing some dream. I want to live for you with everything that I am, that I could stand before you, not with my collection of seashells, but with my life of faithful and willing service laid down for you. So how is it that you're going to spend the coming year? Why don't you just put your Bibles away? If we can get someone to come and play. And I want to give us a moment of reflection before we come to the table of the Lord. Peter, would you mind just going and grabbing the communion from the back? We might just do it at the front if we can. If you need someone to help you. For the rest of us, if you could just close your eyes. So it's just between you and the Lord. So we bring not only this service, but this, this year of gathering together, of seeking Him to a conclusion. Let me ask you the question, how is it, if you're perfectly honest, that you have spent your last year? It's a moment to just take stock. To hear the prayer of Moses. God, help us to number our days. Help us to know what's important. Help us to not be distracted by all the stuff, by all the lies, feeding on things that aren't healthy for us. Consumed by everything that's going on around us. 
Help us not to waste our lives. And Lord, as we take a moment before you honestly to reflect and to take, us, to take stock of our lives, I pray that for each one of us, that the light of your Holy Spirit would shine. You'd lead us. Lord, if there's, if there's things in our lives, just as I described in that picture of cleaning out the bedroom, if there's little, little corners that are, are just hiding secret sins, little indulgences for the year, that it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You can just hide it away here. Lord, we just acknowledge that nothing is hidden from you. And I thank you that there's grace. As we come forward today, there is an opportunity for us to come. You know it all anyway, but to give it to you, to repent and to leave behind those things that need to be left behind. Father, I pray that for for those of us who as we examine the year that has been, where there is stuff that we know has clouded our perspective, that's taken our attention, things that were there that shouldn't be, and other things that weren't there that should be. Lord, I pray that there'd be a moment of just getting rid of all that stuff. Would you refocus us on the things that are really important? Help us to make room for you. Help us to refocus our hearts. And Lord, I pray particularly for for those of us, whether it's some, whether it's many, but Lord, we're just, we're hanging on to baggage. And as a loving father, you stand there with so much for us. Inviting us freely to come, Lord, whether it's, whether it's anger, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's bitterness, whether it's disappointments, whatever it might be, that our lives have been consumed by anxiety and and stress and, and worry, wasting so much time that could have been spent being satisfied with your steadfast love and living boldly for your glory. I thank you that this is a holy moment now. This is a moment for each of us just to do business with you in our own way. So Lord, may we not leave this place without first having given you room to show us in our lives, if we're honest for each of us, as as always things as David prayed search our hearts oh God show us everything that's not pleasing in your sight that we may walk with you that we may not waste our lives away on things that don't matter that we may stand before you not with a collection of seashells but with a life of unabandoned joy-filled service of the King. I pray that in Jesus' name.